And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a rainy, dreary Monday here on the East Coast, where it's time to do something we never do at ESPN, and that's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers, who have a whole new team around LeBron James and Anthony Davis this year and played a preseason game on Sunday, the first game of the NBA season. They got waxed. Panic is ensuing. The Lakers' house is crumbling because Bruce Brown and the Brooklyn Nets laid waste to the Lakers at Staples Center to help us sort through all things Lakers, the one and only Dave McMenamin. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, but it did bring back this memory that had been so buried in the recesses of my mind back in the 2012-2013 season. Kind of the last time the Lakers did this super team with veteran guys. Obviously, you know, Steve Nash and Anton Jameson and Dwight Howard were added to the Kobe Powell tandem. Well, that preseason, they went 0-7. And and it was like, uh, it was the preseason, so we don't really care. But obviously, we know Sunday there was no LeBron and no Russell Westbrook and no Carmelo Anthony and and, and, – you know, the Lakers weren't playing their full squad by any measure. But it, when that 24 to 2 run happened in the fourth quarter by the Nets, I was like, ah, please, please don't have another season that was quite so uh, difficult to cover uh, like that 2012 2013 season. First of all, Anton Jameson rarely gets thrown in with the, the Nash, Kobe, <laughs> Dwight, uh, uh, Powell, Lakers disaster. It never, he rarely gets thrown in. That's nice for Anton Jameson. He was a legit veteran. He also was like kind of the whistleblower of that team. Like he was certainly a guy that was fed up with stuff that didn't look right. Uh, also, Anton Jameson, very unique part of his uh, wardrobe uh, assembling process, would put his socks and shoes on first, like loafers, like dress loafers, and then put the dress pants on after that. Would have the shoe on. Flag. As it went through the pan. Red flag. I'm not signing you to a contract if you do that. That's a that's a red flag. It was it always like, it, it stayed with me. True or false, uh, Dave, this is a debate I've been having in the offseason for NBA reasons that I will not disclose. Uh wearing a hat backwards over age forty, red flag or not? I believe I've come on this podcast before wearing a backwards hat if it was an early morning recording. Uh I don't are you it. over 40? No, but I'm knocking on that door in a year and a half. So I yeah, like you got you, you got you got some time. I think there's cer- certain scenarios where it's okay. But if it's like your go-to look, I agree it's it's a little troubling. All right, speaking of go-to looks, uh who is what is the Lakers starting five on day 1 of the real NBA season? Do we even know yet? We don't know what they have seen so far and what I believe from having conversations in terms of what will be best for this team is ultimately having more nights than not where you have a starting center alongside Anthony Davis. And that doesn't mean that Anthony couldn't end up playing 55% of his total minutes at center this year, but what are you going to do to keep two guys engaged if you're having them both come off the bench? I, I think that's uh, kind of a redundancy they can avoid, and they don't need to have that happen. And so you got two guys LeBron. meaning Dwight Howard and De- two guys meaning Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan. That's who you're absolutely to. yes, Dwight and DeAndre. And 
obviously LeBron, Russell, AD. So that's the set in stone players. And then I think the best use of what they have right now would be to go with DeAndre because they've already seen Dwight in a backup role, being a self-starter, coming in with energy, accepting that role, still being a team guy, hyping up people from the bench. And DeAndre, in a very small sample size, looked good with AD. He ended up with three blocks in the preseason opener, and uh, you were reminded of that verticality and physicality that they had that led them to the championship in the bubble. And then two guard, I think, is is far more wide open. Uh, there is the idea you could go with the purest floor spaces that they have there in Wayne Ellington, and, and he's been shooting well in camp and, and got it going a little bit on Sunday against the Nets. But you could go with none. You could go with Malik Monk. You could go with Kent Bazemore. You could go with Trevor Reza. Like they have a glut of options there. Uh, you could even go with Melo. In my head, in my head, when you said none, in my head when you said they could go with none, I thought N O N E, like none of the <laughs> above. I know you meant, I know you meant Kendrick Nunn, but I thought none. So you've made me. So I this whole offseason, and you and I had a podcast as soon as the rush when the rush trade happened, and when the when they signed when Polinka hit it out of the park with the minimum contracts for guys like Malik Monk yes, and. Did. The ta- the uh the t- with this it's the tax MLE for Kendrick Nunn or the yes, buy yes, I can't is. remember which one you got um taxpayers MLE what, and and all the other guys that they got all the veteran shooters Baysmore Ellington and on and on Ariza um I I've had this like dissonance with the Lakers where it's like well LeBron and AD set aside all the roster churn all the noise all the rigmarole. When LeBron and AD are on the floor, the Lakers have been consistently amazing, awesome, incredible. When LeBron and AD are on the floor and AD's the center, they are like beyond incredible, beyond incredible. And and that extended last season to their half-court offense, which was sort of the question mark everyone had about them in the bubble season before the bubble. It was awesome when LeBron and AD were on the floor and even more awesome when AD was playing center. So... I, look, I've talked to people with the Lakers for the last two months. Is How much center is AD going to play? Frank Vogel's already sick of talking about it. You're telling me that you think their starting center on opening day is DeAndre Jordan. I think they're ultimately going to come back around to that, yes. I, now I'm a little bit more nervous because Russ plus DJ plus AD plus LeBron plus whoever is a spacing issue on offense that even LeBron, the greatest problem solver in the history of the league, it's going to look ugly a lot because Russ is just a terrible jump shooter who wants to take a lot of jump shots. But to your other point, like so when now, the rubber wait, be- just qu- wait, quick interjection. Opening Interject? Night, in, 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 opening nights against the Warriors who could be starting Draymond at the five and you could see AD at the five. Like they're not going to have a static starting lineup as this year goes on. This is what I was about to say. When the rubber meets the road, they're playing Anthony Davis at center. Like when 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 the chips are down, when they're pushed against, just like it was in the bubble, they're playing Anthony Davis at center. I I am very interested to see sort of so that's Russ, LeBron, AD, and then two spots. I'm very interested to see who wins those two spots. The Athletic had a big long story about the Lakers last week when they talked about Ellington and Ariza being the favorite for those two spots if they started Anthony Davis at center, which who knows if that's going to happen or not. I'm like, 
Wayne Ellington and Trevor Ariza, like that, those those guys might not make playoff rotations for some teams, and and they're going to start for a championship contender. And the same, like DeAndre Jordan, literally did not make a playoff rotation for a team last year. And then whoever is the other one, the shooting guard in the in this other formation, the same thing may or may not apply. And then you zoom out and you're like, well, LeBron has made an entire career of give me one star and now two. Because Russ, for all his faults, is still a star. The guy made a run at All-NBA last year. I didn't vote for him. I don't think he really had a case, but he made a run at it. And You give me those two and like then put Mike Miller and Mario Chalmers around me. I'll make the finals. Put J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson around me. I'll make the finals. Put Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo, and KCP. I'll win the championship. Whatever it is, like he's made a career of this. So are we all just worrying about nothing? And I just can't decide. And I think part of the reason I can't decide, Dave, is two reasons. You can weigh in on both of them. Number one, LeBron is almost 37 and is second all-time in minutes. He's reaching uncharted territory of like, you just can't be peak LeBron forever, right? And number two... Russ is just such a unique player because he shoots all the time. And I'm just not sure what he's going to be doing when LeBron has the ball and there's two minutes left in a playoff game because LeBron is going to have the ball. Like, what is Russell Westbrook going to be doing? So take the, like, is this still peak LeBron? Take that one or the Russ question. Pick whichever one of those. Reassure me that this is all going to be okay. We'll start with LeBron, who looks great and went into his two-a-day off-season regimen on his own a month before training camp started. Rob Palinka reports that LeBron has trimmed down. I asked LeBron about it. He was he kept it close to the vest, but he said, listen, I'm always looking for ways to find an edge, find a margin. I spoke to a source close to LeBron. It's not necessarily that he lost weight, but he's added lean muscle which I was like, can regular humans do that? Can we sign up for that? Can I, I don't need to look on the scale what I weigh, but if I could just add lean muscle, is that possible? If you don't spend a million and a half dollars per year on your body, Zach, can we look into this? Uh, I don't know how to, add, no, I don't know how to add lean <laughs> muscle. You're asking the wrong person. I, I, I know how to add, like, I know how to add fat. Like, right. If you want to just add fat, if you want to fat I have some up, experience that. in that, like, <laughs> from 2000. Three onward, but um, I, I think all those signs plus a lengthier offseason point to LeBron. You had to go into the year assuming he will still be LeBron. Uh, while recognizing that two of the last three seasons he suffered a major injury after prior to those three seasons, never experiencing something like that in his basketball career, his, his pro basketball career. But I have to think, because he's someone who continues to defy everything, that, okay, LeBron, checkmark, will be dominant, will be a top 10 player in the league, if not a top five. And when it comes to the playoffs, will be the ultimate Swiss Army knife who can pick apart opposing defenses, not only with his physicality and his skill, but his mind. The rust question is a bigger one for me. But if there is a recognition that Russ, part of your role is doing whatever you can to take the load off of LeBron in the regular season. And so he can have a better chance to be 
supernova LeBron in the playoffs. And of course, you're not going to be benched in those major moments, but your role could be adjusted. If you're cool with that and you're happy being in LA and you're happy getting this team back to a chance to be a title run, but clearly it's going to be still going through LeBron and AD when it matters most, then let's do it. And I, I think that's the way you can try to, to make this thing work. Well, that's part of the reason I'm excited for this team. What you said about the regular season, like that's all well and good. Um, Russ is going to be just a fast break rampaging machine in the regular season. He's going to give them more of an allowance to rest LeBron here or there, or, or at least a life raft when LeBron is, is on the bench. Although it should be noted, like the Wizards were abysmally bad when he played without Bradley Beal last year. That said, Anthony Davis may also be part of those minutes. Maybe that's, by the way, let me just stop right now. Is LeBron receptive to like, if, if, if like, forget Palinka, if Jeannie Buss came to him and said, hey man, you're second all time in minutes. We're trying to win the championship. Can you, I, I really respect that you want to play 82 games. I, I like, it's enormously awesome that you actually do care about the fan who's going to attend one game and be heartbroken if you don't play. We need you to play like 65 games and 31 minutes a game. Is he finally going to be receptive to that? Are they even going to ask him that question? I would. That I would be asking him that every day if I ran the Lakers. Uh, now, he has given the answer repeatedly in the time I've covered him that the minutes is just something he flat out rejects because playing in a game is not the window from tip-off at 7 p.m. until the fourth quarter or overtime ends at 10.30 it is from the moment he wakes up that morning of a game to post game. And so to him, it's more about finding opportunities for days off than finding opportunities to cut minutes. And to me, that makes sense. Like, okay, the that's fine. So, then, so that, then, then that's fine. Okay. So then I say, LeBron, can we get you to take 15 games off? And to me now there is the rub of, the NBA looking to preserve its product and uh, making sure that when those rest games occur, it's not ABC Saturday night. It's not ABC Sunday. It's not uh, primetime TNT on Thursday to make sure that we're still growing the sport because LeBron James is still the face of the NBA year 19, still the face of the NBA. And, and that's something that matters for the bottom line for everyone involved. And, and that's the, the balance they're going to have to strike. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. 
Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. Back to the reasons I'm excited to watch this team play. You mentioned LeBron, chess master. LeBron's the greatest problem solver of NBA defenses probably ever. And it, and part of that is solving the problems of your own roster, right? Mm -hmm. And LeBron seems really emboldened and excited by the idea that any moron like me thinks that Russell Westbrook is a difficult fit with the Los Angeles Lakers or that there's even any such thing as spacing issues that could affect LeBron James. That excites me because he that that means he's in problem solving mode. And if there is any player in the history of the NBA who can get Russell Westbrook to do some stuff when LeBron has when someone else has the ball that is useful, it's LeBron James. One example, Dave McMenamin, you've covered LeBron. How many straight years have you covered LeBron's team now up close? This is this is number eight. Long you have time. seen so in eight years you have seen I don't know. 3,000 LeBron James pick and rolls involving a point guard screening for LeBron James. Half of them occurred against the Warriors in the finals when he was trying to hunt Steph Curry. Who are opposing point guards going to be guarding in many lineup constructions? Russell Westbrook. Right. What do you think Russell Westbrook's career high in ball screens set in any season Second Spectrum has tracking data for is? Wow, for, for, for a season, for a game. For a season. Most combined ball screens in a season. So obviously we're going to go low here. Uh, you should go low. 50. Very good guess. 68. Wow. Yeah. 68. So he's, he he's maybe doing that once a game. That's a career high. Right. Many seasons, including last season, uh, last season was 19. If he doesn't shatter his career high this season, it's a problem. The other thing is the Lakers love to run those sets where Anthony Davis starts in the corner and someone goes and sets a screen for him and Anthony Davis curls off of it. You can run that with LeBron in the corner. Like Russ is a natural fit for that. He's actually a good cutter when he decides to cut. Like I'm excited. LeBron is a genius. Russell Westbrook is an all a Hall of Fame level player. I'm excited to see them try to figure this out because the tools are the, some of the tools are obvious like if a schmuck like me can think of it like some of this stuff is obvious and i'm excited to see if they do it i want to see them bring back this set and i'll have to try to talk to some some cleveland folk to get maybe the terminology or, or what they actually called it but the Kyrie would get the ball on the opposite wing and draw a ton of defensive attention as he would because he's an offensive mastermind and LeBron would kind of stay on the opposite wing. And when the moment struck, just sprint towards the middle of the lane, 
and he'd receive a pocket pass either from Kyrie or Kyrie would first pass to, you know, the, the guy in the high post who then would find LeBron. And it was devastating. And it could only happen so many times a game because eventually your defense is going to become aware that, uh, oh, LeBron's going to come careening towards the, the cup looking for an easy bucket. But that is the type of things you can do theoretically. Now, Russell Westbrook is not Kyrie Irving in terms of a half-court offensive guru, but he is someone who will command attention. And I, I think things like that are they're going to have to get creative with. And, and honestly, like – LeBron's one of the best players of all time. You want the ball in his hands, but LeBron, I think, is as a game that's more suited to playing off the ball than Russ does. And so, do you there's say no, there's so, no question about that? But so the question is, do you say because of that we go with Russ, or do you say that well, even though Russ LeBron's off ball game is better than Russ's off ball game, LeBron's on ball game is better than Russ's on ball game, so we still go through LeBron. I would say, in general, taking the ball out of the hands of LeBron James is not the best idea in the world. Um, I do think one of the other reasons I'm I'm excited for them is they have all these sort of either minimum or, in in Kendrick Nunn's case, taxi MLE, all these just a bundle of guys, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horton Tucker, who they paid a lot of money for to bring back. Uh, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza, who kind of resurrected his career with the Heat last year after a long uh, after a year off. I, I I do think I'm probably even forgetting somebody. I, I do think like two or three or one or two of these guys, by virtue of playing next to such great players, is going to pop a little bit. Like I've always had a soft spot for Bazemore. If Bazemore makes enough shots, he's an interesting player. I uh-huh. think he, like I, I I like him. I'm very curious about Taylor Horton Tucker. Spoiler alert, he's going to be in my annual six most intriguing players for the season column. It might be a year early. He's still only 20. It might, I know. It might, be a year, it might be a year early, particularly for his jump shot. But what can you tell me? Because he should be a good defensive player, and I think will. He has a giant 7-1 wingspan. He's strong. He's a good athlete. He's smart. Like when you watch him play defense, he takes some bad gambles. He's still learning the league, but he's smart and he sees the game okay. Offensively, he can do stuff with the ball. He ran pick and roll with LeBron, just not many, but occasionally as both screener and ball handler. That's interesting. The only question is, can he shoot it well enough to earn everyone's trust? Like what's the early camp intel on him? So he has great balance on his jump shot uh, in camp. Uh, You saw it in the first preseason game where he hit a long three from the top of the key towards the end of the shot clock buzzer that you know really you saw from the base legs spread shoulder width apart loading up uh his shot motion is is pretty succinct uh which keeps it on target for the most part and then obviously the body he's completely transformed it since he's come into the league he has those broad shoulders. He has long arms. He has the quick burst ability, and he can get to the paint almost at will. Now, his playmaking ability uh, was a bugaboo for them last year, uh, realizing that he would sometimes get down there and, and not see what he had available to them, and that led to either bad floater uh, attempts or drawing offensive charges because he was out of control and didn't necessarily have in mind what he planned to do once he get into the paint. But 
they like him. And when we rattled through the names for this potential starting two guard, uh, I was remiss not to mention THD because he could I, be the guy there. I, I, I've heard he's got. I've heard he's got a shot at it. Now, I, I would. I would almost bet against it again with no intel, just because of the uncertainty of the jump shot and his ability to work with the ball a little bit with, with, when LeBron is off the floor. But I've been told he's got a shot at it. It's interesting you mentioned the unreliable playmaking because he did average, I think, five assists per 36 minutes, which for a 19-year-old, 20-year-old is is like pretty good. And he's a kind of nifty interior passer. But what you're saying is he – I mean, obviously, he's a bowling ball. He gets – he's, you know, likes to get into traffic and do some crazy stuff. What you're saying is that he they, they think he kind of needs to sometimes just make the easier read. Right. And they, they had a game last year where – it was one of those. It was a home game against the Clippers, and you know the Clippers Lakers games. Even in a pandemic season with no fans, always seems to get everybody's hair standing out the back of their their neck after the result is processed because it seemed to matter more. And it was one of those games where he kind of got his numbers, but if you were uh, his teammate what he was missing was obvious. And so someone like Kyle Kuzma, who was pretty diplomatic and a supportive teammate, certainly in, in the press, let some breadcrumbs out in his post-game comments where you knew pretty obviously that there was frustration with how Talon was taking the, the bigger role thrust upon his shoulders. And the course correction was Wes Matthews getting more playing time uh, in, in the weeks that followed because Wes – certainly didn't have the talent and ability at this stage of his career that Talon does, but could process and run the playbook to a T. And so those are the things that he'll have to overcome. But again, 20 years old. Uh, and I like to think that someone like that who gets the buy-in from the organization where it's like, we've seen the work you put in this last two years. Here is your payday. Now, Take care of whatever you got to do on, on the, the personal side of things. You know, feel the validation of, and I'm not suggesting any personal problems. I'm just saying, you know, just you now have a beautiful home and all those things and, and feel like an NBA superstar um, where you're not scratching and clawing for to have what your teammates have and now now continue to, to, to improve in the program. Now, I think the interesting to players that are in the same situation as him but don't have the financial stability he has are Nunn and Monk. And this is, if I point to one thing that I want to, you know, that that part of the Lakers' body looks a little soft and I can poke my finger in there a little bit, it's that you have to have the right alchemy in a roster. And you have all these guys who have either already won or already got paid hundreds of millions of dollars in their career. I don't have any worry about them figuring out their role if playing time diminishes. But for guys like Monk and Nunn in particular, both of those guys, like they kind of need to have a big year here to set themselves up for a brighter future in the league. And I I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be minutes for both of them uh, when the games really matter. None has the 5.2 million player option for next season. So he's got a little bit of, of security, but yeah, I mean, Malik Monk is counting on the sort of Lakers sheen. Like if I make five big threes in a playoff run, like people are going to remember that. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you know, 
linked to all that and the issue we haven't talked about before is the through line of of the Frank Vogel era with the Lakers has been elite defense. They were number one in defense last year. Number one, despite all the injuries, all the roster churn, all of it. They were the best defense in the NBA, statistically. And that's where I come back to like peak LeBron, peak AD, because the burden on those guys when Anthony Davis is playing center, you know, I mentioned Alex Caruso and KCP and Danny Green and these guys that played alongside them when it mattered in in 2020 in the bubble. These guys are all really good defensive players. Mm -hmm. The guys that we're naming right now, with the exception maybe of Ariza, who's 36 years old, I think, and and on his last legs as a player, and his jumper is up and down. People aren't going to guard him much in the playoffs anymore. Um, Maybe him uh, and maybe THT will see. Bazemore's scattershot hitter miss. Like, this is not the same kind of defensive roster. Like, I'm very interested to see where they fit defensively. And Frank... Frank Vogel talks about defense all the time. It's the blueprint. It's the foundation for everything. What is the early word? Like, what are they, when when you guys ask about defense, are they talking about scheme? Are they talking about just collective effort? Like, what are they talking about? What's the word about defense so far? So quite frankly, Frank was asked three days into camp, where are you at with your defense? And he said, we're just not good enough. Now that is his barometer for success. So he's always going to bring a critical eye to it. I don't think it was him pressing the panic button, but he wants them to be further along because they are playing the same defense they played the last two seasons with him as a coach. Offensively, Frank says he's putting in different wrinkles, different changes. Obviously, you have to figure out some way to have LeBron and Russ work together to get the most out of both of them. So it would make sense that the offensive system would need more tinkering. But defensively, there are the principles of conduct which is we want to be the more physical team and we want to play with the more effort and principles of it sounds like my sounds like my daughter's school <laughs> principles of conduct it sounds like something to be hanging on the wall don't interrupt the teacher by the way we got reports that my daughter was talking in class last week i'm not happy about that but that's either here nor there her father's a podcast host you should be proud she's <laughs> verbal that's true uh but so that you have that and then there's the actual technical side of things and frank seems to be of the opinion that if i get the buy-in the effort the uh selling out their bodies uh, on a screen etc cetera, etc cetera, like then over time because there are 11 new players on this team like I, I keep hammering at home when I ask players questions and when I talk about this team on the radio sports center podcast because it's absurd. Like this team is almost expected to win a championship with eleven new players. That never happens. It never happens. I would be interested to see how all of this discussion would be framed if Jamal Murray had not torn his ACL and Kawhi Leonard had not torn his ACL, or were fully recovered and like had gotten the rust off and everything. Because I think. I think there are enough questions about the Lakers. And again, LeBron may have answers for all of them. Frank Vogel and Anthony Davis may have answers for all of them. I think there are enough questions. Like I picked the Clippers to win the championship two seasons ago and got made to look like a fool because of what Denver did to them in the playoffs and how they melted down. Last year, they might have won the championship had Kawhi Leonard not gotten injured. I think I would 
pick Clippers and Nuggets as one, two in the West if they were fully healthy. That doesn't mean I think they're like way better than the Lakers or even better than the Lakers. I mean, all of these teams are awesome. I, I just like those teams a lot and they, they have less or fewer kind of structural existential questions about them than maybe the Lakers do. But the reality is Jamal Murray tore his ACL. Kawhi Leonard tore his ACL in the playoffs. They're out for a long time. They're out. And even if they come back this season, we know the track record of guys coming back from an ACL is like they need some time. And it's year two, really, when you start to see the old player again. I just look at the Lakers and like I, we think about all these questions and we wring our hands and Russ, we didn't even mention Carmelo Anthony. Like, what the hell is he going to do? He doesn't he's, he's, he's a defensive weakness at this point. And I just keep coming back to, like, given the current reality of the Western Conference, who am I picking over the Lakers in a playoff series in the West? I don't think anybody. You wouldn't because you would you'd have to go to Phoenix and Utah. I think that's probably where both of us are at. Unless somehow Dallas somehow swings some sort of big trade and they pair Luco with, you know, some more talent. Uh, I think those are the two teams. And you say, okay, they were up on the Suns and injuries took them out. And the Suns had a good offseason to add Shamit, add JaVale McGee. Obviously, you talk about their two of their top three stars are ascending in Aiton and Booker. Like, they'll be formidable. And then you know, Utah is tough and they're really great ba- roster balance. And you look at, at that team. But, like, does either of those two teams, do the Lakers not have the belief factor? going into either seat, even if they're the, the road team, that the Suns or the, or the Jazz are better than them? No way. No way. And Well, there's the, in fairness, the Suns had the Chris Paul injury too um, when they were playing the Lakers. Well, he played through it. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't disagree. I don't, I don't think LeBron looks at either of those teams like, oh, we're, we're underdogs. Like, or we're, oh, but God, we have game one on the road. We're scared. Like, right. if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy, I t- it, again, we'll see what LeBron looks like at the end of the season. Number two all time in minutes, this and that. I just, I'm really excited to watch this team play because I just, I can't, I, I, I'm, I've been spending all summer imagining what it will look like, and I'm excited to see what it looks like. Um, I just think it's a weird for a LeBron AD team. It's just weird. It feels weird, and and a lot of sort of structural issues to work out. But LeBron and AD are LeBron and AD. You know what I mean? And I think again, we, we've spent some time talking about will LeBron be LeBron. They need AD to be AD that he was two years ago. Last year, he was, he was by his standard, was terrible. It was career low in rebounds per game, career low in shooting percentage, career low in free throw percentage, uh, his second lowest scoring average uh, of, of his career when you take out his rookie season. He just... You'd think someone coming off the validation of the championship in the bubble would be ready to hit that next step, uh, but it just didn't go together. I've spoken to several people within the team, and I've actually said this to AD on Media Day, and we, we got a little one-on-one time together. Like, it's all about you. And he kind of, like, laughed it off, and I was like, no, like I'm serious. Like, it, it, it's all about you. Like, if you are AD of the bubble – you guys would be just fine. He goes, oh, maybe I need to braid my hair that way again because you know, bubble AD was something. I mean, that was the player that everyone in L.A. envisioned when they traded half the roster in New Orleans to get him. 
and the player last year was was not that. If he can no, be AD. that, it, it's a. I think the just the way the entire specter of viewing this team. If you actually think about the Lakers this year as a team built around a 28-year-old unicorn who already has a championship under his belt, has aspirations to be the defensive player of the year, and who can do a ton offensively at, at seven feet tall, and then you have a bunch of talented veterans around him, like, oh, that's a team that that seems, like, really encouraging. I think if you look at it as – Oh, it's a bunch of veterans, and you know they have this other guy who sometimes get injured. Uh, the Lakers can look a lot different. Yeah, I just think it comes down to like their A lineup is going to be Russ question mark question mark LeBron AD. I'm fascinated to see who those question marks end up being. I've I've liked I've said all the names that I kind of like a little bit more than others. Whatever, if the Russ thing is uneven in the playoffs and they don't have good answers to those first two questions. I think they're for sure vulnerable, but we'll see what they look like at that point and what LeBron and AD look like. But I just, until those other teams are whole, it's just hard to pick against LeBron and AD. It just, it just is. And, uh, but this is going to be, this is going to be a show every damn night, Dave. Are you excited to watch? How was the preseason game? How many fans were there? Was it, was it, it, was it buzzy? It was listed as 16,000 fans. I told some of the other uh, reporters that were covering the team, last year alongside me that it was the best atmosphere other than like the playing game last year against golden state. That was a fun night. Uh, and the first playoff game against the Suns. but we already have a better game in the preseason, a 1230 tip off on an NFL Sunday with most of the stars in street clothes than we had all of last year, uh, which yeah, that, that got the juice flowing a little bit. And I'm really curious to see, how it looks. And I'm also like Carmelo had this line this summer that kind of stuck with me that he said, he's looking forward to the ups and downs of the year. Like he was looking forward to them struggling and seeing how they actually pull themselves out of that, that as much as that is stressful as a reporter, you're trying to figure out what type of conversations they're having. Uh, the Frank conversations that are, that can be difficult for a team. Uh, I, I'm excited to see that unfold because I don't think you're going to have a lot of bailout guys on this team. I, I do believe that the guys who came here think that this is a special group, think that this is a special team. And when you have that belief, you're willing to put yourself in uncomfortable situations knowing that you, like that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Uh, and I... I that's why I think they will be a bend, not break type of team. Uh, they just could run into a team that has way more talent and at the stage of their career they're in, in the finals if it comes to Lakers-Brooklyn. Yeah, ultimately, a couple of the things that are benefiting the Lakers other than all the stuff we've talked about are the Murray and Leonard injuries in the West and the fact that I think the two best teams in the league are in the East. And so one of the, they do not have to face either Brooklyn or Milwaukee on the way to the finals. And you know what? 
that's just life. That's those are those are the breaks, and we'll see how it goes. Well, you're going to be there to chronicle all of it. I will be out in LA for the first week of the season. We will be attending an NBA basketball game together in person, Dave McMenamin, in like two weeks. Lakers, who they Lakers Warriors opening that? I can't remember who Lakers, their first game against. It's somebody you good are, though. You are right. Lakers, Let's do Warriors. it. Yeah, it's going to be great. Can't wait to see you out here. Dave McMenamin, uh, it's always good to see you do a fantastic job. I'm sure we will reconvene about this crazy team uh, sooner rather than later. Thank you for your time, bud. All right. See you soon, Zach. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. All right, let's bring on the formidable, the productive, the workhorse, the genius of the cap to explain what in the hell is going on with Ben Simmons in plain English. Mr. Bobby Marks, how are you? Hello, Zach. How are you? I'm good. Um, So can you explain in plain English how Ben Simmons' pay structure is somewhat unusual in the NBA and what in the hell exactly happened on Friday when the Sixers decided we are not paying you any money because you are not here and we're not paying you for the foreseeable future? What's, what, what exactly is going on? Well, I would say first, uh, most of the players in the league get paid over um, like, like a normal human being, right? They get paid starting on November 15th and it goes for over a year, it's 24 installments. There are uh, a select few that get paid over six months. Uh, 12 installments. Simmons is unique. So when he signed his rookie max extension, um, the Sixers agreed to give him two sets of advances. Uh, the first one was payable on July 1st. It was 25% of the salary, which was 8.25 million. The second so he one, got, he got that. He got right? it. Let me stop it. It's so that advance. $8 million in the bank, they, they're not taking it away or they haven't taken it away yet. He has that money. He got $8 million on whatever date, July, July whatever you just said. Yep. So the second advance of, of his salary was due on October 1st. Okay. What we saw on Friday was that the Sixers said, well, no, you have not shown up for training camp. We're going to take that amount. We're going to put it in an escrow account. It's important to note an escrow account. They didn't just not say we're not paying you because that would have been a breach of contract. They said, we're going to put it in an escrow account. And for every game you miss starting Monday in Toronto and for fines accumulated for missing practice, now it's up to $50,000 per practice. We're going to deduct it from that escrow account. So what it make, what, why they did it was instead of giving them that money, they would have been have to chase that from him during the course of the year when he starts getting paid on November 15th. So on November 15th, he's owed $1.3 million. 
there are 12 installments of that. The fines would have grown so high that he would have been basically writing an IOU for the foreseeable future. So they said, wait, we're going to put that in an escrow account. We're going to start clawing back the money of, of Ben Simmons. I think it's important to note, and I've seen this written a lot of all over the place. Like once he misses this game, the first preseason game and games going on, like that money is not coming back to him. Like there's no agreement out it, there. Where is it going? It's the Sixers keep it. it they, the, the Sixers are retaining it. It's basically like instead of owing, let's say if Ben Simmons is uh, by mid-November, instead of owing him $33 million, they're going to only owe him $29 million because they've so already me, taken $4 million off the top number. Let me ask you this. Is this legal? If I call Daryl Morey and say, I am willing to play the role of Ben Simmons in future practices. Will you pay me fifty thousand dollars instead of is, is that is that allowed? Well, I think I think ESPN might have an issue can, with that. I can, I can I can refuse to shoot. I can't do anything else that Ben Simmons does, but I cannot shoot. I'm just saying. Well, it's a lot of money, and I think it, you know fifty thousand for missing practice and twenty five hundred for missing practice and twenty thousand. It's small potatoes compared to what we're going to start seeing um, with this loss in salary. And that money is not going to be, rec- that, that money is not going back to Ben Simmons. That's so, 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 so let me, so let me ask you that. I saw Ramona report, I think, and, and elsewhere the same language has been used that people in Ben Simmons camp are confident that if, and when he gets traded, he will be paid in full. So what the hell does that mean? Well, I mean, in the perfect world, what you would want is that Ben Simmons gets traded to hypothetically the Indiana Pacers, and then the Sixers say, you know what, we're just gonna we're just gonna wipe the slate clean, Ben. You know, it it worked out for us, it worked out for you. You're in Indiana now. We're not going to deduct the 15 games that you missed. You're going to get that money back, Zach. That ain't happening. It ain't happening. The league. It's basically let there is. Um, you know, certainly the language in the CBA, there's certainly the letter, the language that the teams have gotten in memos as far as fine reduction. The league is not going to set a precedent of players not showing up for training camp, boycotting the, the first part of the season to get traded and all of a sudden say, you know what? It all worked out. We're going to give you your money back. The league is not going to do that. That is not happening here. Um, will he get some of that escrow money back? Probably, unless he's going to be out for I mean, past Christmas or even into into January 15th. I think that money gets you to January 15th. Um, but he, there's going to be a reduction in, as far as what he is going to lose here. Since Friday, when they didn't pay him, have you heard any a, a tremor, not an earthquake, a tremor, a rumble of any inching forward progress of any Ben Simmons trade talk with any team or conversely, any ratcheting up of Philly's desperation level to just bail out of this situation, which is what the other teams are counting on. No, the mood from Friday is the same as Monday. It hasn't changed, right? I haven't seen all of a sudden and now there are, you know, because of him not reporting that, you know, there's or missing money, missing games and the escrow situation that there's a desperation from, from Philadelphia. It's, it's the same approach they had last week that they have right now. Now it's just a matter now he's missing games. Both sides appear dug in here. I don't think Philly 
I, I don't sense any... Ben Simmons' trade value, we can argue about whether it can get lower or higher if he came back and played, right? I don't think him sitting out is going to reduce his trade value as a basketball player. I think the only thing that could reduce the return that Philly could get is if Philly gets desperate to be done with this, if they get off to a bad start, if they're 4-7 and seven and beads cranky, the whole thing's going south, do they get desperate? I don't sense that that's going to happen. Now, if it gets if it gets really bad, if they're 13th in the East after a month, maybe. But I don't I don't sense that that's going to happen. I mean, right now it's easy for for people within the Sixers to say that, but I don't sense that that's going to happen. I think they're remaining steadfast like we're just not doing a bad deal. We're not we're not selling quote unquote selling low. On the flip side, I sort of I I I said if you set the over last week on this podcast I said, if you set the over-under at November 1st, I'm taking a slight under maybe that Ben Simmons reports by then because of the financial ramifications that you're talking about. I made that prediction knowing that everyone in Simmons' camp is saying, we are sitting the season if we have to. I just, and, and that was very strongly reiterated to me after I made that prediction on my podcast. Maybe they're telling, maybe that's all true. I am just skeptical that Ben Simmons is going to light what is he making this year? $32 million? 33 million. 33 million? I'm, I'm skeptical he's going to light $33 million on fire because he's that whatever about the Sixers. Now, people within Simmons, what's the full value of his contract? $170 million, something like that? He's got $147 left. $177, I think, was the full value. What was put to me was $32 million is not $170 million. In other words, if we sit out this whole season, by the way, NBA seasons for all-star players, you don't have an infinite number of them. Like Ben Simmons has like eight of these left, eight all-star level seasons left in his, I don't, whatever it is, eight, 10, 12, seven, five. It's like, you don't get infinite of them. Like there's that value loss for him too. Well, and the other value um, loss too is that he'll lose a year, year of service here. So when you get closer to, you know, whatever his next contract is going to be, when you, it, 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 it takes a number off. As you know, 0, 6, 7, and 9, 10 plus from a max standpoint. And who knows if, if Ben Simmons will be a max guy in that next contract. But that from a from a small standpoint, it takes that comes into play also. Well, and so so maybe he's what was put to me was again, 32 million ain't 170 million. Like we we'll sit out the whole season and hope that a trade happens after that. Maybe, maybe that's maybe and Ramona has reported that. Uh, Brian has reported that. Like that's not news. Um, maybe that's ultimately, ultimately what happens. I, I, I don't know. I do know that this is, we're in uncharted water here, which is, you know, what you kind of wrote about before the season about this trend of extend and demand out. And I don't want to get, I don't, we, we've already had that yeah. discussion, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, Ben Simmons, um, contract that he, the current contract he's on, he, it had a clause that if he made all NBA, he qualified for his version of the, the younger version of the Supermax where he go, earns more than 25% of the cap going forward. And he hit that, correct, by making All-NBA in 2020. I voted for him All-NBA that year. Yeah, he earned an extra $19 million. He had 20 over the, over the, li over over the, the life of the over contract. Over the life of the contract. His contract, if he had not earned third-team All-NBA, would have been similar to Jamal Murray, 158.2. It's now 177.2 because of reaching – the third uh, third team All NBA uh, in here in twenty eight percent of the cap, so he hit Which, one of that criteria. By the way, if I recall, we all had to submit our ballots pre 
resumption of the season in the bubble. And so the bubble games like were not counted for awards. Is that I think I'm remembering right? Because I remember thinking I remember thinking if 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 the if the if we had seen the bubble happen and then done our ballots, I would have flipped Devin Booker into Ben Simmons place on all NBA. But in any case, I'm only bringing this up because you wrote about this. You said there's among the ideas being proposed by teams before this situation really blew up was. Okay, we you earn this escalator clause. You earn this extra money for the life of your contract that we sign you to by virtue of making all NBA or whatever it is. If you request a trade and you get traded, you bump back down to 25%. You bump you that $19 million, whatever's left of it, gets lit on fire because part and parcel to that escalator clause was sort of an understanding. We want you, you want us, we're doing this. That's been, that that's being bandied about. Obviously the union would fight for that. The union should fight for against that rather against that. That's their job, but that's been bandied about. Correct. Yeah. That's we, uh, we talked about it in the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So Ben, basically if Simmons was traded, not only would he have lost the money that he's losing for, for the games, he would have lost an, an additional, you know, $19 million. We can say whatever the prorated amount, but um, it would be a significant blow. And I, and it, it as from a financial standpoint, but I think right now i my feeling is that Ben Simmons would, would take that to get out of Philadelphia. I mean, if it's, if 33 million is not en- enough to report, then what's 19 million. Whew. Now Simmons, like every Simmons, like every player, has his preferred destinations. But I've I've been told we all have our preferred destinations for whatever. But I've been told and have said I I don't I think he's open to being traded to any of twenty nine other teams that are not the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's just rapid fire go through some of them because you wrote a piece on Friday, well timed by the way, uh, that we talked about on the jump, uh, the the sort of tiers of Ben Simmons trade partners and you had your first tier six teams that check all the boxes um let's rapid fire go through some of those teams indiana you already mentioned i think indiana is brought up only because they have a bunch of good players making between 12 and 22 million dollars which is what you need to make a big trade like this they own all their first round picks i believe um so they could put a compelling package together i don't sense right now that there's been an enormous amount of serious talk between these two teams. What what do you sense on that landscape? I, I think that for me, I've, I'm circling October 18th. Um, that's the last day for players like Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert to get extended because they've got two years left on their contract. Once they Ooh. get extended, they're off the board. Okay, if that's in place, right? If they if Brogdon or LeVert get an extension. We, we take them off the board and we basically take probably the Pacers off the board when it comes to Simmons, because then you're looking at Sabonis, Turner, TJ Warren's hurt, Jeremy Lamb, right? That's kind of your mix of players there. So I think if, if, and, and you and Brian talked about it, like Indiana being that wild card, because they have, you know, they've got six players earning between 10 and a half, 21. They've got a point guard in Brogdon. They've got all their draft picks, which is most important. So there's not a big step back, a huge step back, I would say, you know, as far as doing that type of deal. It's a matter of kind of what else is coming here. So I think for me, the 18th is going to be important just because that's the last day for those two players to become, um, you know, extension eligible. You beat me to the punch as you want to do, Bobby Marks. Karis LeVert and Malcolm Brogdon are sneakily extension eligible. I think... 
that topic has been broached within the Indiana Pacers organization. Uh, I don't know that anything is going to happen. But you're telling me because the rules of extensions, there's this six-month trade prohibition, yeah. but it only applies if certain years and money uh, qualifications are met. You're telling me that it applies to these two guys almost no matter what well, their extensions I think, are? I think it's going to be interesting if it's, if it's going to be more than – well, see, a guy like Josh Richardson in Boston didn't have an extension restriction because – he only had an, a year a, a, attached to what is left on his contract, and he didn't go up the uh, he didn't go over five percent. So let's say if Indiana adds um, you know two year uh, one more year to Brogdon at five percent raise, let's just say, then he can be moved again. But immediately, immediately, immediately. But if the extension number, if the if the length is let's say another three years, and it's an eight percent increase. Then those guys are off the board six months. That takes you past the trade deadline. The issue with Indiana, beside all of that stuff, is a they have a brand new coach who probably wants to see what he can make of this roster. May also be curious about what he can make of Ben Simmons. B, um, Indiana is not healthy right now. T.J. Warren's hurt. Lavert is 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 has some minor injury that hopefully won't keep him out very long. A three for one or a two for one, they're starting to run kind of thin on players. The other issue is DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner are centers. Now, Miles Turner's been sort of playing stretch four on offense and five rim protector on defense, so theoretically could fit with Embiid kind of on offense, but they're both really centers, and I don't know that that's Philadelphia's ideal return. If I'm Philly, the two pieces I want are Brogdon and TJ Warren, who is, again, TJ Warren's injured and his return date is like wildly uncertain as of now. I, I don't know what it's going to be. And and Brogdon is a perfect fit with Embiid. And I think the issue you're going to start to run into with all these teams is Philly would, I, I, again, based on the reporting that has already been out there from other places and rumblings we've heard, Philly probably would set the ad, like be like Brogdon, Warren, and a bunch of draft picks. And Indiana would probably counter with something much less than that. I'm not sure there's a deal here to be made right now because there are just there's just a lot of there's a lot of complications with the Pacers. Yeah, I mean it's as you mentioned probably you know what is you know Turner Sabonis two nice players but as you mentioned centers it's just you know I, the picks are the picks I think I don't see the picks would be more concerning for me if I was Cleveland if I was Minnesota just because of you know where those rosters are and they were probably going to be good lottery picks I think they'll. This Indiana team will probably be right in the in the middle. Um, they might jump into the top six with Ben Simmons. Who knows? It's just a matter. And then, as you mentioned with TJ Warren, good player when healthy, but he's been out since um, he's been out since last December with a pretty serious foot injury. You mentioned we've we've talked ad nauseum about the Timberwolves, who have just gone through some organizational trauma. Uh, I I think if you ask me who wants Ben Simmons the most in the NBA, my educated guess slash conclusion would be Minnesota. I have floated for a year now the D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, plus some picks package. I I just don't know if that gets it done for Daryl Morey. I've never been convinced it gets it done for Daryl Morey. If it doesn't, then you're looking at three team trades, as yeah. we've talked about. As Brian Windhorst likes to say, I love I love quoting Brian Windhorst, if a three-team trade is very often a no-team trade. They're just hard to do. <laughs> it's the stack of cards, right? Once you build it, you pull one out, and they all come down. And I think you're right. I think for Minnesota, it's basically you have to recruit a third team. Who loves D'Angelo Russell, right? Who Who is a – if Philadelphia doesn't, and, and Russell goes to a third team, and then maybe that team has something that you can offer. But I just look at for them, 
outside of Russell and Beasley, it's really, you know, you've got a lot of expiring contracts. You've got all your draft picks, but are you comfortable giving up lightly protected first round picks for a team that at best would probably be a playing team, right? I mean, that's kind of how I look, I look at Minnesota. And, and and the defensive burden on Embiid. Actually, you know, what's interesting about the Sixers, we talked about what if they start four and seven, eight and 12, whatever. I, I do think it's going to be quite interesting to see how well they hold up without Simmons. Two years ago, they were like, I have it in front of me somewhere. They were like plus 13 per 100 possessions when Embiid played without Simmons. Last year, that was down to two plus 1.5 per 100 possessions when Embiid played without Simmons. Uh, and, you know, so the numbers are mostly kind of encouraging. I do think as long as Embiid is playing, they are a good, solid Eastern Conference team that is somewhere between fourth and play-in danger. Um but Embiid misses 15 or 20 games every season for whatever reason. That said, between Maxi and and Dybul and Shake Milton and Springer, like the Sixers are pretty confident they can cobble something together. George Niang can play some four alongside Embiid. I think we might even see some Tobias Harris, George Niang, Embiid minutes. Like I, I am interested to see how good they are, how well they can stay afloat without Simmons, and particularly defensively because the burden on Joel Embiid becomes pretty enormous when Thibel is not in the game because he's Thibel is a, is a freaking magician out there. Um, but that, that is the wild card to me. If they just start out horribly, which I don't think will happen, but if they do, that, that's the interesting scenario to me. Well, it's almost like what happened in Minnesota with Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy came in was like total disruption, but I remember they went on that West Coast trip and it was like they just kind of hit the point of, of no return where they needed to move them. And I don't I don't think Philly will, but it, that is something that we have to watch. If there's an injury, what happens with Embiid? Um, certainly getting off to an 8-12 and 12 start. I mean, can you imagine if we're 20 games in and Ben Simmons still has not been traded yet, right? I mean, then we're looking into December 1 territory here. Um, are you just looking to, to take the best package or are you just going to say, you know what? He's too good of a player for us to just take a 50 cents on the dollar type deal. We're in this for the long haul, even if we are the sixth seed when we get to the playoffs. Or, or we're not doing really well at all. Uh, maybe Joel needs a little more maintenance. Maybe we get, maybe we can get like a top eight pick all of a sudden and just like use this as our little gap year. And who, but not that you want to have a gap year with Joel Embiid, but I'm just, you know, it's it's a possibility. Uh, much has been talked about with with uh, Portland. I I think the CJ McCollum Ben Simmons swap. I mean, that's been the most obvious one from the beginning. We all know the obstacles to that. The Sixers want another Portland Trailblazers guard who is not available right now. And I think if you put Neil Olshay and Daryl Morey in a room and had them debate who should send all the additional stuff, picks and whatever, in a CJ McCollum Ben Simmons swap. I, I would just pay a lot of money to watch that to watch that debate. Well, I'm unfold. sure Neil is probably like, well, I want one of your young guards, right? I mean, I think that's probably what he's looking at. And I think if you're if you're Daryl, I'm probably saying, well, wait a minute, I want you to take that protection off that pick that you owe Chicago this year in the Larry Nance trade, and I want something in 2024 uh, or 2026 there. And you know, Portland really doesn't have young players to send out. I mean, this year, little Anthony Simons guys like former first round pick. So yeah, it's a matter of like, 
is it just one for one? Could it be that easy? I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, I talked a lot about the Warriors theoretical fit because I, you know, we'll see how, I, I think it's mostly theoretical given that Joe Lacob just got fined for saying he doesn't think Ben Simmons is a good fit with Jeremiah Gray. I talked a lot about that last week. I'm using that as a lead in to ask you this. Why does Toronto keep coming up? I don't know because I don't know what a Simmons, Tobias Harris, Embiid, right? I mean, that, that, would, be, that would be basically like the, the main guy, right? If you were looking at trade packages here, um, you know, they were supposedly linked. They were the one team that um, Philadelphia was asking for a huge haul. Uh, from when we first got this going here. But I I mean, I would even move them as, I have them as one of my top six teams, but kind of like, you know, where does Ben Simmons fit in Toronto type uh, in that section? What is What does Philly ask for if there's a phone call with Toronto? Like, what's their ask? I remember what it was reported or the rumblings of it were around the draft, but like, what, what, what do you think they'd ask for? Well, I, I would almost ask for OG. I mean, that's kind of like my, my centerpiece guy. And I, I mean, I don't know if it's better than what Indiana could offer or San Antonio, but I mean, does, does Drogage, OG, and Picks, does that do anything for you, right? Like, I mean, I, I don't know, um, but I mean, it's, you get a really nice player on a, on, a, on a really good contract. He's not Ben Simmons, but um, he's, still a, uh, you know, he's still a high high-level defender there. I would go one further and say Van Vliet in Anunoby. Someone put it to me over the weekend. What do you think Toronto says if Daryl calls Masai Ujiri and says, we'll, we'll just do Van Vliet in Anunoby. Forget any extras. Forget any picks. Forget Scotty Barnes. Forget any future stuff. Just those two for Ben Simmons. And I thought about it. I said, boy, I think Toronto might actually say no. I, I think I, you're I, know, right. I know that sounds nutty because I know that sounds nutty because Simmons is an all-NBA player and none of the, neither of those guys have been. I know it sounds nutty because I said that I thought Simmons and Draymond Green could actually fit better than people had been saying in Golden State. So why couldn't Simmons and Pascal Siakam, who is a superficially similar player to Draymond Green, fit in Toronto? But I actually think that that fit is more problematic for lots of different reasons. Siakam holds the ball and wants to hold the ball way more than Draymond Green does. Draymond Green wants to get it and pass it and get off it immediately. Pascal wants to ISO and post and dribble and shoot pull-up threes and all that. It, that's that's He's a distinct player from Draymond in that regard. And obviously, you don't have the Splash Brothers. The Splash Brothers are the thing that enables Golden State to take on all sorts of different kinds of players that other teams really cannot absorb so easily. I just... I You know, we can keep going through these teams. I just I don't... Like, San Antonio... You floated them. I They've definitely t- had a conversation with Philadelphia. I wrote about the Spurs sort of being in the wilderness last week. I don't see an offer there that's workable for the Sixers unless there's just so many picks thrown in as to, to, to the point that San Antonio's like, wait a second, we just mortgaged everything. Like, we, we're not going to do that. And San Antonio doesn't make trades. We all know that. Is there any sleeper team out there that we haven't talked about? Well, no. I mean, I mean, out of the teams that we had on there, I mean, we talked about. I mean, Cleveland's another team. I think circled October eighteenth. Colin Sexton is extension eligible. That would basically take him off the board here. Um, we mentioned Portland. I mean, the tier, t- the next tier of teams is you're looking at teams like, 
I don't see New Orleans. You mentioned Golden State. Boston, you've talked about the Celtics before as far as maybe that kind of sleeper team, not including Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. But you know, is it? So th- it's know? a three. It's a three-team construction. It, yeah. it, unless, unless like Marcus Smart prospects and every pick and swap you got is going to get it done. And I, I don't, I don't see and, that. And, and Marcus not, Smart it, just got extended. Yeah, too, right? you're going to have to wait until basically the end of January to do that type of deal. I mean, so are you're you're basically kind of in a holding pattern there. At the beginning of this process, my sneaky favorite sleeper team was Charlotte for for absolutely no reason, no reporting at all, just because Gordon Hayward is a really good player on a contract that is probably viewed as a net negative around the league that could fit in Philly, is healthy, and you could throw in, I mean, Rozier's probably not eligible now because of his extension, right? But you could throw in some extra stuff to make it work. And I just didn't love the LaMelo Ball, Ben Simmons idea, and I almost feel like there's a little buzz, no pun intended, about Charlotte right now. And and I do think they, they're a high-variance team this season to me. I do think they could be quite interesting and be a little better. I, I think I'm a little higher on Charlotte than consensus. I get their their defense does not look good on paper. I don't know how they were an average-ish defense last year. It's all It was like smoke and mirrors, but they did it. They're going to play small a lot. That makes me nervous. But I, I just there's something about this team that I like, and I just don't think I'm – upending it at this stage to put Ben Simmons next to LaMelo Ball. No, and I think the only way you do is that if there's higher expectations in that front office that they think they're a lot better than what they are, and that's a team that gets off to a slow start and feels like they need to make a Ben Simmons-type trade to get them kind of, if they think they're at a six seed or five seed, That's those are the type of teams that Philadelphia is hoping for gets off to slow starts that there might be a deal there come the end of, I guess the end of November. I'm buckling up, man. I, I don't see an end game. I mean, this could all change in two seconds in the NBA. That's the NBA. I think, I think this might right now I would, it, it might be a while. I mean, I think even Portland, Portland is one of the higher variance teams in the league to me too. I love their top six. Their depth is a little bit of a question mark. I think Simons is ready for a bigger role, and the Sierra Little might be ready for a bigger role. We'll see what Snell and McLemore and those guys can give them. Cody Zeller is actually an okay backup five. They might be better than people think, too. They're also one injury away from having their depth exposed a little bit. Like, if they get off to a good start, I mean, the West is just weird this year with Jamal yeah. Murray already hurt and Kawhi Leonard already hurt. I just I don't know what's going to happen here, Bobby. But I'm I'm buckling up. I'm buckling my seatbelt. I think we might have a, a little bit of a long ride here. I would pick over if you're talking about November fifteenth. I would pick the over for Ben Simmons to be traded. You mean to be traded? What about Chris? I, I don't want to give you dates. November. So you're taking the over November fifteenth. Yeah. I'm sure we can bet on this somewhere. You can bet <laughs> on everything. Well, Bobby, I'm going to be reliant on you to tell me what precise fraction people are getting fined every game and how much money it is and what the hell is going on here. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, you put you post these pictures of your whiteboard, and and the first thought that goes in my head is like. Poor, poor, poor Mrs. Bobby Marks. Just this is what this is what her, she's this is what's in her house. Just whiteboards with deadlines and dates and monetary figures. Um, Bobby, you're 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 awesome for coming on and give us giving us some time as usual. I'm sure I will hear from you and see you soon. Um, don't stray too far from your calculator. All right. Thank you, Zach.